News Talk 1110 99.3 WBT. Um, Andy asks me on the Twitter machine whether uh, that woman, Dr. Nisha Verma, uh, whether she was at the abortion rally in Charlotte. I don't believe so. I don't know. I was quoting her from an article out of the Texas Tribune. So uh, she was not, as far as I know, I, I didn't see any quotes from her uh, in the Charlotte Observer article. Uh, Andy also then points out that circumcision is not the same as ending a life, which is, I thought, yes, pretty obvious to everybody in the conversation. But <laughs> uh, maybe not. Uh, yes, thank you, Andy. Uh <laughs> Oh, there was one other thing. I did need to mention this. Um because I did the I did the prep and by golly, I'm going to get to it, which was um do, 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 Yahoo News story by Joseph Okay. Uh I'll get back to his name. And he, I just I feel like there needs to be some separation from the topic of the last caller and this fellow's last name. So I'm just going to give it some separation. So, there was a piece uh, written by an assistant professor of religious studies at Texas State University. This was from uh, late September. And um, he's talking about how the satanic temple is using, quote-unquote, abortion rituals to claim religious liberty against the heartbeat bill. So, right, this heartbeat bill went into effect September 1st. Within 24 hours, the U.S. Supreme Court declared that it would not block the law. And in response, the Satanic Temple, a non-theistic group that has been recognized by the IRS as a religion, announced that it would fight back by invoking RIFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, to demand exemption from abortion restrictions on religious grounds. RIFRA laws, which came into effect in 1993, restrict the government's ability to burden religious practices. Like the heartbeat bill itself, the Satanic Temple's efforts to circumvent abortion restrictions on religious grounds involve a creative and complicated legal strategy, which I'm not going to get into, by the way. I just think it was important to note here, interesting, if you will, that, uh, on uh, about whose side the Satanists come down on. <laughs> I just, you know, I think it's instructive. It's uh, it's illustrative of some other point. I think it's just worthy to note here. Um, the piece was written again by Joseph Laycock, assistant professor of religious studies at Texas State University. Um, under RIFRA, the government cannot burden the free exercise of religion unless... It has a compelling reason for doing so, and the government acts in the least restrictive way possible to achieve its purpose. And uh, let me skip to the end here. Ministers, that's what they're called, for the Satanic Temple created an abortion ritual in which a woman affirms her own autonomy, obtains an abortion, and then concludes the ritual. Since abortion is part of the ritual, the Satanic Temple argues subjecting a woman to a waiting period is the... Uh, same as the government interfering with a baptism or communion. And uh, they argue that the, uh, so the lawyer for the Satanic Temple argues that abortion can be both secular and religious, depending on the context. 
So this person is named Tom, not Tony. Hello, Tom. You'll be the last caller on the topic before I move on. Hello, welcome. Oh, thank you. And very briefly, I'd like to say from a Christian standpoint, and I realize other denominations feel differently, but I would rather be Joseph Stalin at the Great White Throne Judgment than a doctor who's aborted a thousand, two thousand, three thousand little fetuses before they got to breathe their first breath of air. And I've often wondered how many people we've killed who might have cured cancer. You know, 63 million and counting. No, yeah, I, well, on the first point, um, if I could choose to be neither of those people, um, which I have done, not going to follow Stalin's path or the abortion doctor's path. So, like, that's my, yeah, <laughs> I choose neither. Um but also, uh, yeah, there is the, the there is the argument of yeah, what what could have been, sure, mm-hmm, yeah. But mm-hmm. I just, but I don't know. Like again, if you're trying to, I, I think that that argument, and this is one of the issues in the debate, particularly, I find this. Well, it's probably uh, of the, among the most rabid pro-lifers and the most rabid pro-choicers, which is that when people only talk to people that agree with them, their yeah. arguments become less compelling outside of that circle of fellow believers. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Yeah, because I I think, like, to a Christian who is already on board with your belief and agrees with you, I think that what you said is a very profound and moving thing that reinforces their belief. But for somebody who's not, it doesn't move the needle for them at all. No, I understand. Yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate you letting yeah. me voice my thought. Thank Absolutely. You. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate the call. Yeah. And, and so, again, like, and I, the reason I say these things and the reason I'm going over this, this discussion as I am, because I could make the arguments and just leave them at, at that. But I see what I do, my role here, and part of, like, yes, we are here to inform. We're here to have fun, you know, being, and, you know, entertaining you know, and informative. Hopefully, one of those two. But also it's to arm you with what I believe to be the best arguments, right? Some data points and some ways to argue. And the best way to know uh, your argument is to know your opponent's argument. And that's why I bring the opponent's argument into it. I, and I, that's why you always hear me say, like, well, the opponents would say this. And I outline what they would say. Because you have to know what they're going to say. Because when you start arguing, I've given this example before over the years. Todd Aiken, guy who ran for Senate down in uh, Missouri and, you know, got blown out against Claire McCaskill. Why? Because of the, quote, legitimate rape argument. That comment that he made talking about abortion where he said that, you know, the woman's body can shut down a pregnancy unless, you know, if it's not a legitimate rape or something. And that is probably something that he had said and discussed with people that are of a like mind to him. And they never thought anything of it. They all agreed. And then you get outside of your circle and you say that and all of a sudden you get all this blowback, right? And so you're not prepared for it. And the same can be said on the other side, too. Um, you know, people make these arguments and you and we hear about them, right? Like the, the person who did the panel discussion or was uh, sitting on a stage couple of years ago, remember this video uh, got out and she's talking about how it should be okay to basically kill a child after birth, right? And like, it was so shocking. 
like the governor's comments in Virginia. Yeah, uh, Governor uh, Blackface. Like that's the that's what happens when you don't have those arguments and you know what the other side would say in response to it. So that's what I do. I try to prepare people for these arguments and try to arm you with the best one that I can figure out. So News Talk 1110-98. Oh, I thought you said no vocals. What do you? What, what does that mean? You're just laughing. What does that mean? You said you don't play bumper tunes with vocals. This has vocals. I'm hearing vocals right now. But now it just ended. That's just, I don't know. <laughs> Real professional. Um, alrighty. So a debate over biases on the North Carolina Supreme court is rocking the legal and political worlds. This is the headline at the news and observer a story by Will Duran. Um, I believe he was, Will Duran was half of the uh, the duo back in the eighties. They had such uh, hits. No, I'm. They just Will Duran, D O R A N, not a U. Anyway, the political allegiances of justices on the North Carolina Supreme Court are getting renewed attention as a case with massive political implications heats up. Whether racial gerrymandering made the legislature so artificially skewed toward the GOP that state lawmakers lost their legitimacy as representatives of the people. By the way, this is a legal argument that uh, almost quite literally nobody believes. Okay? Like this, the argument that once you draw the districts, legislative districts in a state or a county, I guess, but once you draw the districts and you elect people from those districts, then the districts are overturned due to legal challenges. The idea that now any of the laws that were passed by the people that were elected to those seats have to be uh, undone, taken off the books, it's, that is not a, um, that's not a, a, a popular legal position. Okay? Most people do not believe that to be the case, that you need to do that. In fact, I would argue that the people suing in order to get only two laws overturned, they don't actually believe it either. And I can guess that because they're only suing to overturn two of the laws rather than all of the laws that the legislature put in place. So this is it does. Yes, this is part of redistricting, but this is also this is also gearing up to be another constitutional crisis brought to us by liberal. I shouldn't even say liberal. It's these are leftist lawyers. Thank you, lawyers of the left, for uh, your iconoclasm. We would be nowhere without you. Um, the case revolves around two amendments to the North Carolina Constitution that Will Duran says Republican lawmakers put on the ballot, and that's true. They did. But also, voters approved. Voters approved by clear margins, landslide-like margins, as a matter of fact. Ten percentage points. It's, if you go over double digits, then it's landslide territory. And they did. They won. All of these amendments won. There was one that capped the income tax rate, and there was one that required voter ID. Now, there was another one about hunting and fishing being enshrined as a constitutional right. There was another one 
uh, that would alert victims of uh, crimes if their perpetrator was getting out of prison. So there were these other constitutional provisions that also went before voters that were approved that these plaintiffs are not trying to abolish. But the two they are taking aim at, capping the income tax rate, which, by the way, is capped at 7% now. And by the way, like North Carolina's constitution had originally capped the income tax rate. So this basically just brought us back lower, closer to the original cap. I think the original cap was five, but whatever. Um, It was, and and Democrats were opposed to this because Democrats were like, well, you never know when we might, you know, get back in power and need to raise our taxes. Well, they didn't say that. They just said we might need the taxes in case of an emergency. So they want that undone. They want the ability to raise your taxes, and they uh, they they are opposed to any kind of voter ID law. So the crux of the case here is that the Republicans only had enough votes to get the amendments onto the ballot because of the districts that they had drawn, which gave them a majority in the legislature. Right, the Republicans won in 2010. They drew the districts in 2011. That that gave them then the super majorities in 2012 and they use those super major the super majority in the house and the senate to uh to put these measures onto the ballot for us to vote on and then we all voted for these things four of the six uh constitutional amendments uh, were approved and these uh the north carolina naacp um as well as the coalition the southern coalition for social justice they sued And uh, they're like, you were a usurper legislature. This is the term that they keep using, usurper legislature. Why? Because those districts that the Republicans drew got tossed out as gerrymandered. Okay? So their argument now is an illegally constituted General Assembly does not represent the people of North Carolina and is therefore not empowered to pass legislation that would amend the state's constitution. This is what the judge in Wake County, a single judge, this is what he ruled. And he eventually gets named, Will Durant eventually names him at the very end of the uh, story where he is identified as Brian Collins, a Democrat. But he was the one that they judge shopped to. Brian Collins' name turns up a bunch when the left needs a ruling to go in their favor, particularly of a, a radical nature. They go to Brian Collins. And so he delivered for them here, which is this argument that it's an illegally constituted General Assembly, a usurper legislature, which if this law, if this ruling rather were to stand, then every single law that the legislature has passed over the last, what, eight years, nine years now, I guess would also have to be undone. This is why it's a constitutional crisis. But the Democrats on the Supreme Court are also playing with fire, too. not taking the fall for you. News Talk 1110. News Talk 1110 wbt Beat Callender here. Um, so there is a constitutional crisis of Bruin. There's actually two of them. Number, first one's over school funding where uh, uh, a judge in Union County, Democrat judge in Union County, has decided that uh, he can apparently force the entire legislature to adopt a spending level that 
he determines, um, which upends the entire idea of the separation of the different branches and what they're responsible for. That's one brought to you by the Democrats wearing black robes. Number two is uh, Brian Collins, a Wake County Democratic judge who is ruling that has ruled that uh, the General Assembly does not represent the people of North Carolina because the districts that they drew for themselves originally in 2010 uh, were tossed out by Democratic judges later, but they got tossed out. And so therefore they, uh, the laws that they passed regarding voter ID and capping the income tax, not even passing the laws, but the just asking the voters to approve these constitutional amendments, that that was something that they were not allowed to do. Okay. Uh, so the Wake County judge, uh, Collins is his name, Brian Collins. Uh, he ruled in favor of the NAACP. Now, the court already has a four to three Democratic majority. This is the state Supreme Court, where this is going now. Okay. It's going to the state Supreme Court, which four three majority Democrat. But now there's another question coming up. Will Duran, writing at the News and Observer, quote, should justices on the state's highest court be allowed to force their colleagues off a case if they are too closely tied to the politicians and issues being debated? The court, four to three, Democrat to Republican, they, they want to, the plaintiffs here, the NAACP, want to uh, have two of the judges, Republicans, recused. They want them removed from the case. The first is Phil Berger Jr., who is the son of the Republican Senate leader, the president pro tem of the North Carolina Senate, Phil Berger. And because Phil Berger is the Senate president pro tem, he is listed as a defendant in the case. And so because of that, they want his son, Phil Berger Jr., removed from the from hearing the case. All right. That's the first one. The other one is Tamara Barringer, who's a former Republican senator who voted in favor of the amendments that are now being uh, challenged. So she was in the legislature when the NAACP sued the state. She has since now won a seat on the state Supreme Court. And so what happens, because usually in recusal cases or in recusals, I should say, the judges determine this for themselves, right? They look at the case. And they decide, I shouldn't hear this case. It's their call. But now, because Democrats prefer to turn over the board game when the rules don't suit them, they now are challenging this idea. Can other judges on the Supreme Court step in and force these two Republicans off the case? It's a question with potentially far-reaching consequences that's coming up in this case, possibly for the first time ever, ever, and the result could have long-lasting implications for future political lawsuits in North Carolina. They uh, go and quote Bob Orr, who was a Republican, but uh, became very, very never-Trumper, and uh, he was a former Supreme Court justice from 94 through 2004. And... Uh, he said it's not hard to imagine future challenges about different justices' impartiality if the court allows it. Judges at every level in North Carolina are elected. Or said that he could see this case potentially leading to similar requests in the future. With one side or another saying that justices are biased, 
due to the election support they get from their political party or from other supporters like lawyers, business leaders, and others who have cases before the court and are sometimes heavily involved in the campaigns. Or says, what about lawyers who are supporting your campaign or your opponent's campaign? I think this actually opens up a lot of questions, like just by default now. If you are a lawyer, or sorry, if you are a, a judge who is of a you know one particular party, I think you should be kicked off of any case brought forth by any political uh, people of your party, right? So anybody aligned with the left cannot go before a Democrat judge. I think I actually, I think I'm coming around to seeing the light of day on this. I think I might be uh, willing to adopt the NAACP and the uh, Southern Coalition for Social Justice. I think I might be able to uh, to come around to their position on this. No Democrat like Brian Collins, like he would not be able to hear any kind of case that's brought by these left wing groups, right? Because he he's too close to them. You're obviously biased, so I'm going to force you off the case. You don't get to decide this anymore for yourself. I'll decide it for you. Martin Worf, the lead attorney for the legislature responded in a recent court filing that not only do justices lack the ability to force their colleagues off a case, there's also no reason for Berger or Barringer to recuse themselves. He said the NAACP just wants to get rid of two Republican judges to give themselves an easier path to victory. Which, as I mentioned, they have a 4-3 Democrat majority on the state Supreme Court, so what are they worried about, right? If everybody votes along partisan lines... They're going to win the case. They're going to overturn these two laws. They're going to throw out two more laws that voters approved. Constitutional amendments. Unless, of course, there's one Democrat on that body that might not be so quick to join the Republicans. Is it possible? Just spitballing here. But is it possible that there is one of these judges that might not agree with the other three Democrats. And is it possible that this position, this disagreement, it might be a principled disagreement, but it also might be because he's up for election soon. (laughs) And he might not want to be tagged as the deciding vote against voter ID, which, by the way, once again, passed by voters in a landslide. Also, Very popular among every single demographic cohort. Maybe he might not be willing to do that. And so maybe that's why they need to kick two Republicans off the case so they can give him some room to vote no, but it also still go their way. So they can win the case while protecting the one Democrat judge who's up for re-election. Far be it for me to make such an allegation I just leave it out there for folks to contemplate for a little while. So after Phil Berger Jr. and Tamara Berenger did not recuse themselves out of this case, the NAACP took that step, took the step rather, that has since exploded in the North Carolina legal and political worlds, asking the rest of the court, in other words, the Democrats on the court, to vote to prohibit Berger and Barringer from participating in the case. Conservatives have been apoplectic 
that it might happen, liberals have been indignant that it had to be requested at all. Rob Schofield, writing for the liberal NC Policy Watch, said the recusal question, at least for Berger, stems from an extraordinarily blatant, if not at all surprising, conflict of interest since he was not only the son of a defendant in the case, but he's also headlining a $1,000 per person political fundraiser with House Speaker Tim Moore, who's also a defendant in the case because he's the Speaker of the House and that's who gets named as plaintiffs, which I think is pretty ironic given that before, like last year, um, they didn't care that the plaintiffs were involved in the case like Tim Moore and uh, Phil Berger, the leaders of the House and the Senate, they were not consulted when the Democrats wanted to settle their lawsuits and create new laws around voting, right? They cut the legislature out of that deal. But now all of a sudden, oh, this is very important. This is vital. You've got Moore and Berger and oh my gosh, like we, we can't have Phil Berger Jr. But there's also, see, a fundraiser that... Uh, Berger Jr. is going to be attending for Tim Moore. And so because of that, he's got to recuse himself, which, by the way, this issue has already been addressed um, by the judicial standards. Yeah, it's already in the North Carolina Code of Judicial Conduct. Um, And in January 2020, Judge Wanda Bryant, Democrat, uh, State uh, uh, Court of Appeals judge, was the chair of the Judicial Standards Commission, and she said that candidates may identify with a political party, contribute to a political party, attend and speak at political events and campaign fundraisers for other candidates, be listed in publicity for a political event or fundraiser, um, personally solicit contributions to his or her campaign or joint judicial campaign. And so this has been the standard for the judges, and this is what they've been going by. But now... We've got these uh, two constitutional amendments that Democrats very much want to see taken off of the uh, or taken out of the Constitution. And so they need to change the rules. They need to flip the board over. And so that's what we're going to do. I think I think that's what they're moving towards. Now, the rulings by the judges involved have so far all aligned with their party affiliation. But that doesn't necessarily mean the judges are making their rulings based on politics instead of law. But it is how the rulings have gone. Every single judge that has ruled for the NAACP in this case, they've been Democrats, and uh, the ones that have ruled against them have been Republicans. Now, I do find this also interesting that you've got the familial relationship, and now Democrats are very upset about this familial connection between the Burgers, because when it was the Steins, they didn't care. Josh Stein and his dad. Josh Stein is the Attorney General of North Carolina. He used to be a state lawmaker as well. And right before he uh, became the Attorney General, he was actually a fact witness in a case, voter ID case, as a matter of fact. (laughs) And guess who the lawyer was? It was his dad. Yeah, his dad was one of the lawyers in the case, and he was a fact witness because he was a state lawmaker at the time. And so... They then sue, the, the dad does, he's the witness, he then wins his race for attorney general, he's now representing the state in the case, and he drops the case. Yeah, he's, he got accused of committing serious ethical misconduct 
in a brief filed before the United States Supreme Court. Lawyers for the North Carolina legislature asked the Supreme Court to recognize their defense of election integrity laws, like voter ID, and ignore Stein's attempt to derail an appeal to preserve the laws. This was back in 2017. Democrats didn't care about it then. They care about it now. They care about it now. Oh, by the way, one other uh, point that I think... um, Yeah, here it is. The News and Observer, they did a big write-up, big editorial, uh, how Berger and Barringer need to recuse themselves, and they're terrible people because they're Republicans and also because they won't recuse themselves. But get this. Um, There are two Democrats on the Supreme Court, Anita Earls and Mike Morgan, who might be up for re-election and might not want to have to vote on this. Anyway, in 2017 and 2018, Morgan was the guest of honor at a political fundraising event for... The plaintiffs in this case. So wait a minute. So Berger Jr. has to recuse himself, but Morgan gets to stay? Why would that be fair? The NAACP is trying to erase state constitutional amendments on voter ID and an income tax cap. And Morgan declared himself a, quote, lifetime member of the NAACP at these events that he attended. Then there's Anita Earls. She was a guest of honor and an NAACP fundraiser. Earls was at this point raising money for the NAACP well after it had filed suit in this case and after Superior Court Judge Brian Collins had issued a ruling in the case. It was virtually guaranteed that this case was headed for the state Supreme Court when she was raising money for the plaintiffs. One could argue that she was helping raise money to fund the lawsuit that she would eventually see From the bench, Earls already has an extreme conflict of interest in the case outside of this example, too. She was the attorney of record for the NAACP. (laughs) So these are the people that are going to decide whether their colleagues need to be recused, need to be booted from hearing the case. Lawyers for the defendants here, the legislative defendants in this case, have now filed a motion opposing the forced removal of Berger and Barringer. The motion pointed out that if the NAACP objection was really over a conflict of interest, why are they not trying to remove Earls, who was once their own attorney? And why are they not trying to remove Morgan, who did the exact same thing for the NAACP that they're saying is unethical because Berger did it with the Speaker of the House? It's literally identical. The very same thing that they are objecting to with Berger and Barringer, they themselves are guilty of. But they're not raising those points. They're not trying to get all of the justices that have conflicts removed. They just want the two Republicans removed. It's a straight-up power play. This is, again, a constitutional crisis brought to you by leftist lawyers with black robes. That's where we are. I mean, I, I, I don't want to make this into, I didn't, I'm not making this into a, into a, a highly charged partisan issue. The Democrats have the NAACP did. The Democrats on the state Supreme Court have done this. Not me. You know, I'm just here to tell you about it. By the way, uh, if you want more information on uh, the latest stuff here, you've got the Will Duran piece at the uh, News and Observer, but Dallas Woodhouse has been doing 
a lot of really good work on the story. You can read that at carolinajournal.com. That's carolinajournal.com. Well, there's the music. It's going to wrap it up for me today. Thanks so much for hanging out. I appreciate it. And remember, Brett Winterbull coming up next on News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. And I'll see you, uh, well, we'll talk with you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.